Father, this evening we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. That in spite of the rain, Father, you enabled many of us to come here. And we thank you, Father, we have this, in this age, the technology to record. So those who are enabled to come also can hear your word, Lord. We just thank you for everything that you bless us with, Lord. And we pray we will use this time, the opportunities, and all these technologies that you give us, that we continue to grow in you, Father. That we will redeem the time for the days are evil. That we would spend time knowing you, Father. Speak to us this evening once again. Teach us. Give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, that we might know you, Father. For that's the whole purpose of life, and life eternal is to know you, Father. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen. If you were there on Sunday, which I believe you were there physically, but if you were there spiritually too, okay, we continue where we, we, where we stopped. And uh, the reason is, The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds, the eyes of the people. There are two gods, one with a small g and one with a big g. Our God is a God who opens eyes. And there is the other God who closes eyes, okay, so that we don't see. So even when we, our, the first opening of our eyes is the need for salvation. That's a need for salvation. That's the first time our eyes are opened. And most of the people in the world, their eyes are not open to that need, that they need to be saved. Okay, so they're walking in darkness, which is a false light, and they do not even know where they are going. So the first work that God does in our lives is the opening of our eyes. So we need, see our need for salvation and we turn to Jesus, and when we are saved, there is an opening of eyes. And after that opening of eyes, it is continuous. Because that's why we pray, Lord, open our eyes. Give me the spirit of revelation. Because if our eyes are not opened, we could be just good religious Christians who read the word without seeing what God is speaking to us. Because the 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 because we are physical beings, we are living. In a material world which God created, we are physical beings living in a material world, but we are born again as spiritual beings going into a world which is spiritual, or God's world is spiritual. But for our sake, he uses material, physical images throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, so that we can understand spiritual things. Okay, so understand this. He uses physical terms. And if you're going to only to read the Bible and see only the physical things and interpret it in terms of physical, physical needs or physical interpretations, we are missing out on what God is trying to teach us because he uses physical symbols to teach spiritual and eternal. Okay. Both is there because uh, we need to understand we have both needs. You and I have physical material needs. We have spiritual needs. But the physical and material needs will become less and less and less and less. But the spiritual should be growing. Because, okay, remember, because first in our life, God was the creator. 
so that he created us. He created a physical world. So we go to him as our creator that he satisfies our physical created needs. But after that, we experience him as a redeemer. And he redeems us from this material world. And he puts us into a spiritual place where we need to understand our spiritual need is more than our material. But remember, he's both. He's creator and he's redeemer. As redeemer, he's redeeming us. And he makes us into spiritual beings. So remember, last uh, Sunday, uh, three days back, when we looked, we, we were using symbols which God uses. And uh, uh, the title of the message was, are you? Yeah, dry places, how God uses dry places. And the devil also uses dry See, The devil is an imitator. He has never created anything. So he can only use what is already available. And everything was created by God. So he imitates God. And that's the danger of him. If he did not imitate God, then he could always say, oh, that is God, that is the devil. But that's not the way. He's a very good imitator. Very good imitator. So he imitates everything that God does. So what God uses, he also uses. So God uses dry places. The devil also uses dry places. Go back. We'll go back to that text which we read in the uh, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 43 to 45 we used a text which was on which and we'll we'll go back to that today again we will study from that text okay yeah verse 43 to 45 when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Okay. So, we'll just look at two words over there. Scripture says, when an evil spirit comes out of a man. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, scripture says, the enemy looks for dry places. Like I said, God also uses dry places, dry periods in our life to move us to a higher level of faith. We saw it from, from Elijah, the dry seasons in his life. The purpose God uses is that uh, only if you're used to the wet, you will know what is dry. Those who haven't experienced the Holy Spirit or salvation will not ex know the dryness in the spirit. Okay? Will not ex understand the dry. But he uses those physical symbols. So the whole idea is when that dryness comes into a believer's life, guard your ears. For the first thing to go is your hearing. Very carefully listen what God is trying to because he is trying to draw us to a closer walk. Like I said on Sunday, ease is one of the worst enemies of the believer. Don't be complacent about your your walk with God. So Elijah, you see, is moved from one place to another. And each place that is being moved is drier than the place before. If Kerith was good and there was a brook and it dries up, he's moved to Zarephath, which is going to be even more drier place. Even more drier place. But at every place you will see there is provision for him. There is water, there is oil, there is bread for him. Meaning, he, though he's moving from a drier to a drier place, dry to a drier place, he encounters God in fresh ways. 
new ways. Because God does not want us to, he wants us to experience him. That he's not, he's not this one kind of a person alone where a cherith you ate two times a day and you drank from the brook. He says, it's much more to me. I want you to experience me. So his experience is Zarephath will be completely different of God from what he experienced at Kerit. From there, he's going to move into an even more drier place. You have to see it. After three and a half years, he's going to go on the top of the mountain. It's very dry place. Very, very dry place. Okay? And we are not getting into Mount Carmel. If you want to listen to the the pastor's conference on Malka, on, on Monday, you will see what happened over there. A dry and a, uh, what was that? Dry and an empty place. Okay? Listen to that. You will understand it well because it's both in English and Telugu you will get a double take on it. But at the end of Mount Carmel, when the fire comes, the whole place is now absolutely dry and parched. There's nothing there. Okay. So God is moving him from, and after that he will experience an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Let's leave that also aside. But I'm telling you the way God moves in dry places with his people and how the enemy uh, moves. From there, you will see he's terrified or he breaks under the threat of Jezebel. He runs. He wants to die. He's suicidal. He's depressed. He's discouraged. He wants to die. Okay, you need, you need to realize God's people go through these phases of discouragement, depression. He wants to die. God is very gentle with him, awakes him, tells him, eat and drink. There is a jar of water by him. Okay, eat and drink twice. Rest, eat, drink. Rest, eat, drink. And then tell him, walk. And he will walk for 40 days. And where does he reach after 40 days? Mount Horeb. And what does Horeb mean? Dry. The meaning of Horeb is dry. Okay. He takes him to an even more dry place. The name of the mountain itself is dry. Where he will encounter God in a way he has never encountered before. So how God uses dry seasons in our life is not so that we should starve and die. That is what the woman thought. And later that spirit passes on to Elijah. He also wants to die. Okay. But so that we may live and experience him at a different level altogether. So out of Mount Horeb, he will experience God in a way he has never experienced. And after that, based on that experience and what he has heard from God, is the next phase of his entire life of 10 years. And after that, we see him at the end of his life before he is taken. So what I'm saying is each encounter of God in your dryness takes you for the next stage with God. Okay, and you will realize when Israel was empty and dry and they are fighting and grumbling and all, that's when God tells uh, Moses, stand before me on Mount Horeb. And strike this rock. Only one man is able to hear and in their dryness able to bring an outpouring of God. So understand when God talks about dryness and how the devil uses dryness. The demons also look for dry places. I told the pastors on Sunday, uh, on Monday, dry people, dry homes and dry churches. He looks so that he can find rest there. Meaning not the rest of the enemy is not our kind of rest. When the enemy is at rest, the person, the home, and the church is restless. Okay. When the devil is sitting at rest, it doesn't mean he's sitting on a couch. He finds rest only when he can make people restless. That's why scripture says the wicked have no rest. 
is restless. Your mind is restless. You are restless. The house is restless. The church is restless. Full of politics and fighting and everything and all you know. Some creatures have gone and found rest here. So people are restless. Always remember that. That's what the devil is looking for. So don't, you have to understand how it works because you can know only by the effect. Because these are spirit things. Holy Spirit, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, he compares to a wind. He comes from where he goes. You cannot see, you cannot see the Holy Spirit, but you know the effect of the Holy Spirit. The effect of the Holy Spirit is love, peace, joy, all that. The, the demons are also spirit. You cannot see demons, but you see the effect of demons. So when the devil finds rest in somebody, you can be absolutely sure that person is restless. And when he has full possession of that man, that man is like the man in Gadarenes. Okay? And if you look at him, he is absolutely demon-possessed, cutting himself. Nobody can go over there. But the demons are absolutely at rest in him. They said, this is the place we were looking for. Okay? This is how you know and this is how you judge yourself. Are you under oppression? Are you under attack? Or under the attack, I still have rest. Like we looked at Mark chapter 4 many days ago, many weeks ago. God allows storms to see whether we are at rest or not. And when the storm came, there was only one person alone who was absolutely at rest. That was Jesus. Because he had encountered his father in the morning. He knew his entire day was ordered. So it doesn't matter what comes. He was at rest. Well, all the disciples with him in their midst was restless. You know. So please get these concepts. Because we are not meant to be dry. Okay. We are not meant to be dry. And we are not meant to be at ease. We are supposed to be constantly moving. Okay. So scripture says, he anoints my head with oil and my cup. Runs over. Okay, these are all symbols of the Holy Spirit. He anoints us with, and there is this cup. Our life is overflowing with the with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit flows, and you know, that's it. So use this illustration. Springs of living water shall well up within you, rivers of living water shall flow. So he uses all these symbols because there is a constant movement. And you will also see God also warning us about, like I said, spiritual. Uh, contentment, ease, which is a very dangerous thing. If you look at First uh, uh, Kings chapter 17 and verse 14, when the woman is being told, he's prophesying to her and he's also prophesying to himself. You need to realize sometimes God prophesies through a prophet to himself. Because prophecy is not of man. Prophecy is of God. So sometimes when he prophesies through a prophet, it is just not for the people, it is also for the prophet. I know in times in life when he has prophesied right back to me through my own mouth, and I knew it was not for anybody, it was for me. Because prophecy is not of man, it is of God. So in verse 14, he, she, he will say, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, mm-hmm. the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be emptied until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. He says, this is both will be there. You will have bread and you will have oil. You will have bread and you will have oil. Okay, but don't get caught up with that. There's another day set when rain will come. Look forward to that. Otherwise, we'll get used to it. Wow, what a wonderful. Earlier, Charitha was, Charitha was uh, good. Okay, meat came, water was there. But it was only two times a day. This is better now, three times a day. Okay, and I don't have to do anything. Every morning you go, the bin is full, the jar is full. Binnisful jar. What a wonderful life, right? What a wonderful life. God says, remember, that's not your end. That is just 
a season. There is another season that is destined for you when the rain will come. So he's just not prophesying to the church, the widow. He's also prophesying as a servant to himself that this is the day I am looking forward to. This is the day you should look forward to. So understand what God is trying to speak, meaning don't ever be get content. You can be content in all things in this world except your spiritual growth. We can be content. Be content. Godliness with contentment is a great thing. Be content with what you have in this world. Absolutely fine. You get clothes on your back, food on your table. Content with all those things. One thing you should never ever get complacent about is your spiritual growth. Okay? Because there is always anticipation and expectation of something bigger with God. Because that's the way God is. So we let come back to that text in Matthew chapter 12 and verse we read 43, he looks for rest, he looks for dry places, the demons or demons, and then he goes, in verse 44, scripture says, he goes back, he calls it his house, because that's what we were all, doesn't matter which family you were born, how you were born, we were all abodes of the devil. Nobody was born saved. Everybody had to be saved. So if you were even born in Peter's own family, you were born of the devil. We were all about, and some people still are full about of the devil because they are not saved yet. Doesn't matter, good-looking devils, okay, but still devils, okay. So please understand that that's what he calls that they we were. That was our house. So salvation is the point where demons are cast out. When you get saved, demons are cast out. Okay, that happens. You may not even know. But something has happened within you, those powers have left, something has come in. But let's go back there and see what they say. In verse 44, then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house empty, swept. See, the issue is not with swept and order. Sweeping is good. Cleanliness, they say in English, is next to godliness. Cleanliness is good. It is good. Lot was a clean man. He's a clean man. Scripture very very clearly tells in Second Peter 2, 6 to 8 that he was righteous. He fought sin in his life every day. He was a clean man. He's a very clean man. But he was empty. Clean and empty. He's clean. Full of the world, empty of God. He was empty of God and a clean man. Order is fantastic. We need order. Order is very good. You can be clean and orderly and be empty of God. Achtophel was a man of order. He had incredible order, disciplined himself to have order in his life, that even when he has been taken over by the enemy to commit suicide, before he kills himself, he puts his house in order and then kills himself. So it's good to be clean. It's good to have order. But the problem is not with being clean or having order. The problem is issues with being empty. When they came, the demons came, they said, the house is empty. Empty. Okay? House is empty. And I said on Sunday, nature abhors. The word meaning of the word abhor is hate. Hates vacuum. That's a nature. Okay? It hates a vacuum. Nothing can remain empty. Something will always fill it. And being empty is very, very dangerous if you don't fill it with the right thing. 
So in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if any man is, we know that, any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have all, what does that mean? God has emptied us. And behold, all things have become new. Now he says, fill yourself with new things. It's an empty, and there is a filling. Okay, we have to be careful. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. Those who, verse 41, those who heard and received his message were baptized. When they were baptized, when under the water, and demons don't like water, okay, okay, as an illustration, they went under water, they died to their old life, and they came up empty, clean, clean. Now the question is, will they have order and will they fill? And you immediately see they have orders. Next word says, they gather daily for the apostles' teaching. Why? To be filled. They were steadfast in fellowship. Why? To be filled. They were steadfast in the breaking of bread. Why? To see that they are filled with the right things and the wrong things were not getting in. And they were steadfast in prayer because they are asking God more of God. Okay, so you need to realize they are filling themselves with new things. So the question is, they did not remain empty. They started filling themselves. So the question here is, the question for today is, is your house empty? What the devil calls us? Their house. Let us call it our house. Is your house empty? And if your house is empty... Who's picking the tenants? You know what a tenant is, right? Who hires, who comes in? Who's picking the tenants? Is it God? Or is it the devil? Is it the kingdom of God? Or is it the world? Who is picking the tenants? Okay, ask these questions. So dry, empty. Remember God uses all these different, different, different terms to, to, to impress upon us these truths about this world and the kingdom and we don't get it. We are on the down, on the way down. And uh, I think it was on a Wednesday few, maybe a couple of months back, we looked at the difference between liberty and freedom. Liberty is outward. Freedom is in, inward. Okay. And God begins with freedom. Begins with freedom. Okay. God doesn't begin with liberty. So the first work, keep it all, I will connect it all. The first work God does in the life of Israel in Egypt, he see frees them from the penalty of death, penalty of sin. Okay, that's the first work he does. They haven't moved one step out of Egypt. But the first thing he does is put the, the blood of the lamb. So they are free from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is? Death. So that's the first work God does, the blood of the Lamb. That's the first work God does in our life. Before He does anything in our life, the first work He does is the work of redemption. Okay? Creator, He is creator to everybody. Believer, unbeliever, He is everybody. If His reign falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, that's not what you're talking about. In the life of His people, the first work is the work of redemption. Then from there, He led them out. He led them to the Red Sea. He led them into the wilderness. When they crossed the Red Sea, what he was actually doing with them, he is breaking the power of their oppressors who had enslaved them. One is the penalty of sin. The other is the power of sin. The 
who had enslaved them in Egypt? This is Pharaoh and his army. So when they went through their baptism, the second thing he does is he breaks that power. But it's interesting, after that what he does is, the place he led them was a dry and an empty place. Okay. And he uses these two illustrations of our Jacob as Israel and Israel as Israel in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 10. You can read that fast. Yeah. 32 and verse 10. He found him in a desert land. Where did he find him? In a desert land. And the howling waste of the wilderness. Howling waste of the wilderness. Where did he find Israel? In the wilderness. Where did he find Jacob? In the wilderness. At Bethel, in the wilderness. Nothing. With his head on a stone. In a howling wilderness. In a dry and a waste. Okay, that's what the demons are looking for. That is what the demon, full of dip- depression, discouragement, sun has set on him, full of fear, <coughs> going, not knowing where he was going, had no clue about his destiny, nothing. That's where he found Israel, Jacob, and he spoke to him. That's where he found Israel in the wilderness, okay, in the wilderness, okay? Please remember, in a dry and an empty place is where he leads Israel into. (coughs) But before he brought them there, through his servant, prophet Moses, he had told the Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn, let him go. What should he do? He should make a, how many day journey? Three day journey into the wilderness that he may worship me, he may serve me. Now look to Exodus 15. That's where they have come out through the Red Sea. And if you come to Exodus 15, where Miriam and all dance, and we come to verse 22. But if you sin unintentionally... No, 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 15. Exodus 15 and 1, 5, 1, 5 and verse 22. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Red Sea. They went into the wilderness, the desert of Shur, a dry and an empty place. Ah, how many days did they travel? Three days. And no water. Okay, he said three days. I will take you into the wilderness on a three-day journey and you will worship me. And they go into three days and the first thing realizes there is no water and worship is gone. There's no more worship. Without realizing it was a test. Three days and there is no water. Okay, and the question is, he's led you three days and it's absolutely dry and an empty place and there is no water. What will you do? Have you forgotten the prophetic word that was spoken to you? You are called to worship. That is what happened to Paul and Silas. They are in in the prison, broken, beaten, everything, but they realize our call is to worship and not to grumble and not to complain. Okay. So you need to realize what happened. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was, they found water, but the water was, water was, and there they began their complaint. Now you need to realize water quenches our thirst. Bitterness has got to do with the tongue. Bitterness has got to do with the tongue. You know, many of the medicines we take is very bitter. But it's very good. Very good. They were not complaining about the water now. They're complaining that the water is bitter. They want it sweet. 
Okay. Please understand this. You and I cannot choose our circumstances, but we can always choose our response. We can choose our response. And look at their response. Verse 24. The people grumbled against Moses. And they grumbled against Moses. They can't grumble against God. They don't know God. They only know his servant. So they grumbled against Moses. Okay. There is water, but they don't like the water. And you will see, you will see from the first moment onwards in the wilderness, you look at them and you realize, these are not a set of people who will ever worship. These are not going to worship. These people are not going to worship. So scripture says, God showed Moses what to do, you know. You take that cross or that piece of wood, put it into that water. He's teaching us, okay, when you came out of the world, you are called to worship and you don't like this journey, you don't like what you find in the journey and I have told you one thing you need to carry with you if you want to complete this journey. Pick up your cross daily and walk with me. And that's the first lesson he teaches them. It is a cross that will change your life. If you don't understand the first lesson in the wilderness, you will never finish your journey. You will never enter as an overcomer into the promised land. The first journey, first lesson in the journey is only the cross can change. Okay, let's leave that. So, dryness, emptiness reveals the tenants in your house. Reveals the tenants in your house. Okay? I like that illustration which I showed in the church. Everywhere I go now, I use that illustration. They love it. Okay? And they're very scared when I tell them, come push me. And I'm holding a glass of water. They say, no, come on, push me hard. And when the water falls, I ask them the question, no? Now let me ask, give you an another, another illustration. Where is Jehepsi? Where you are standing here? Stand up. Quickly stand up. Hold this. Stretch forth your hand. That's how God says. Not like that. Like this. When you stretch forth your hand, like on a knock, God. Is this heavy? Is it heavy? How heavy is it? Can you hold it? Can you carry it? Okay, stand there till I finish the message. You know what happens? After one hour, her hand will ache. She holds it the whole day. She will have a stiff neck. God says, you carry your burdens which you think is light for too long. You will not be able to move because you carry it for too long. No burden you are supposed to carry late at my feet. You may think it's so small problem I can handle. He says, carry it for a long time. You will be so stiff necked you can't move at all. That's one illustration. Sit down. Because with rural populations, you have to use illustrations to get the message very, very fast. We'll think, oh, 100 grams I can carry it. God says, okay, stretch forth your hand and stand there for one day. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize I can't move. And God said, that's the problem with your problems. You think you can handle it. And six years later, you realize you are stuck, immovable. You are not going anywhere because you thought it was too small and you can handle it. Okay, so cast your burdens because all these issues will cost you, will show us who are the tenants who have occupied our house? So the question God is saying, are you running on empty? Okay. Don't, again I said, don't mistake the term empty. Because both God and the devil wants empty. If you are empty of God, that doesn't mean you are empty. That means you are full of the enemy's values and his value system and his world. If you are empty of the world... Then God says, fill yourself with me. So when the devil came to Jesus, he was absolutely empty. But full of God. So he says, he found nothing in me. 
Nothing in it. And all the people around who are full of the world could never understand Jesus. That's why scripture says the spiritual man judges all things, but he himself is not judged. Meaning not that he is not judged. Everybody's judgment about Jesus was wrong. Because you judge somebody with what is there in you. What is there in you. Okay, we leave that aside. So empty and dry can be good or bad. Depending upon what you are pursuing. If you are pursuing God, then empty and dry is good. Empty and dry is good because it is in that place he found Jacob. It is in that howling waste that he found Israel. Empty and dry is good. But if you are pursuing the world, empty and dry is very dangerous. The devil will fill you. Okay. Unless we know scripture and we look in hindsight and understand, wow, okay, you will not realize David's rise to his destiny began there. A dreams are given, two dreams are given, a vision is cast, okay, in his father's house. Dreams are given, a vision is cast. Look at his father's house, got this wonderful garment, full of bread, full of water or wine or whatever they are eating and drinking, everything is full. Vision is cast, but you are going nowhere, nowhere. Look at Genesis chapter 37 and verse 24. Verse 24, 37, 24. Yeah, yeah. The pit was empty and there was no water. The pit was empty and dry. No water means? That's the beginning of his rise. Okay, that's from where his destiny will change. His entire dream, vision to be fulfilled is going to start from a place that is dry and empty. Okay, so empty and dry, it's not necessarily bad or good. Depends upon where you are, you know, whose plan you are. If you're walking with God, dry and empty place is good because from there you will go farther and farther and farther and farther with God. That's where, okay? So God all and the devil looks for people who are dry and empty. And that's why the, the, the symbols in the wilderness, he took them into a dry and an empty place and gave them manna every day and gave them water from the rock. But the people rejected it. You don't reject something in the body. You reject something in your soul. Do you remember Telangana agitation when Telangana was formed? Because KCR was on a strike, hunger strike. A lot of people were on strike. When people go on a hunger strike, like Mericom, that lady, not Mericom, the other lady in, in Nagaland and all that. So when the, when you go on a hunger strike and go, the government, if the government will look, are you problematic or not? If you're problematic, they'll say fast and die. But if you know you have popular support and all that, there will be law and order issues. What they do is they will arrest you. They will take you to the hospital and they will put IV on it. So that you don't die. You, they give you intravenously. Okay. Against your will. They feed you. So your body receives the nourishments. But your soul is still rejecting it. You don't die. Your body is fine. But you, you, you're still fighting for the cause. Sighing over there. The government. I'm, so the people will say. He has been forcibly taken. He's still fasting. But he's not actually fasting. His body is receiving it, but the soul has not accepted it because my cause has not been won. 
That's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. They are eating manna, they're eating manna, they're eating manna, they're drinking water, they're drinking water. The soul, the body is receiving it. There is nobody who is weak. There is nobody who is ill, but the soul is rejecting it. Soul is rejecting it. Okay, that's what Psalm 106 and verse 15 says. God gave them what they asked, but he sent leanness into the soul. Yeah, so these are the questions we need to ask. We've been sitting here for years, weeks, months. Is my soul rejecting the word of God? Is my soul rejecting the spirit of God? Or is it receiving it? Look at an interesting illustration God uses in Isaiah 29 and verse 8. Okay, mark it in your Bible. It's very cute. Not cute, but really, really, only God can come with illustrations like that. 29 and verse 8. As when a hungry man dreams, he is eating and awakes with his hunger not satisfied. Or as when a thirsty man dreams, he is drinking and awakes faint with his thirst not quenched. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Mount Zion is God's residence. So God says, if you fight me, if you fight me, if you reject me, if you oppose me, you are like a man who dreams. In his dream, he's eating, he's eating, he's eating, he's eating, he's eating. But when he wakes up, he's hungry. When he wakes up, he's hungry. Or he's like, he's drinking, he's drinking, he's drinking in his dream. But he wakes up, he's thirsty. He says, all the people who fight Mount Zion, it doesn't matter what you eat or what you drink, you will be hungry and you will be thirsty. You don't fight God. You don't reject God. So you will see a set of people, the first generation, dried with food in their nostrils. It's literally what it says. But the food was coming out of their nostrils and they died. There was nobody ill, nobody weak, but they all died spiritually hungry and thirsty because they did not seek God. They did not seek God. So please remember, what the devil will do is, because that's why you have to understand the devil is very, very, very so subtle. He will cause us to chase this world. Okay? And Solomon calls it chasing the wind. You cannot chase the wind. You know that you cannot chase the wind. And look, listen to what he says. Finally, this is the man who absolutely, totally wasted his life with all that he had. Okay. Ecclesiastic chapter 12, verse 6 to 8. Snapped. Okay, that's before your life is cut away. Or the golden ball is broken. Broken. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Mm. Or the wheel broken at the, at the cistern. Okay, this is all talking about before you die. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanities is a creature. Now, what vanity means? Empty. Meaningless. Empty. 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 This is this man's. Understanding of his life at the end of his life. Empty, 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 purposeless. Yet this is a man who went after everything and got everything. There was nothing left for him. Empty, empty, empty. But actually was he empty? In the material sense, earthly sense? No, he was full. But he realized when he's dying, my life was meaningless. It was meaningless. It was meaningless. Because that's the way God has created. And I will tell you, a lot of people in Christendom make that mistake. They invest so, they make their marriage into a life. 
And ultimately the marriage is empty. When the spouse dies, then you realize, you don't know what, I've seen people like that, when the husband died, or the wife died, they don't know what to do, because the whole life was tied around this, they built this around, or they build it around their children. And when the children grow up and go, then they don't know what to do, no meaning, no purpose, nothing at all. God says, I will never allow a man to build his life on anything other than me, because I am the one who gives meaning. I am the one who gives meaning. Okay, all the other things are good, but meaning comes from God. Purpose comes from God. And if you build your life anything on other than God, you will be empty. But if you build your life on God, it doesn't matter what you lose in life, you're still full because you're full of God. That's Moses. At the end of his life, he's standing over there. Technically speaking, he has nobody, but he has God. And God walks him to his death. Takes him up the mountain, shows him the promised land, and he says, die, and I will personally bury you because he was never empty. Though materially, physically speaking, he was empty, but he was full. So God is very, very clear about it, and he talks about that. He says, empty, 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 empty. Listen to Samuel's uh, speech in First Samuel chapter 12, and verse 20 and 21. First Samuel chapter 12. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, uh, uh, for they are empty. Empty. You know what he calls idols? We are, we are all Indian idol, American idol, we all have idols. What does he call them? They are empty. They cannot satisfy. They cannot satisfy. They are empty. Do not go after empty things in this world. Do not go. You will be empty. When you reach the top, you will realize how empty you are. How empty you are. Meaningless. Vanity. Absolutely no meaning at all in life. Because once you reach there, what do you do? No meaning. No meaning. It's empty. Okay? Please get these things in your heart right now as children. So if you ask about the first generation that came out of Egypt and died in the desert, if you ask them, how do you define their life? It is dry and empty. That is the first generation. The second generation, full and with purpose. Full and with purpose. Okay? But that's not how they left Egypt. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 21. How they left and how they ended. Okay, look at how God actually talks about it. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, mm-hmm. The most Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, mm-hmm. see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put you in, in, in your power. Mm-hmm. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Mm-hmm. And then? Then you shall say to the Pharaoh, that, Is it 13 pastor? I think uh, it says, uh, uh, he shall not go. Mm. Yes, yes, that is. Uh, okay, three twenty-one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when they go, you shall not go empty. You shall not go. You know how they came out of the desert? Full. Full. 
Yes, young men. You know how they came out of Egypt, these slaves, who are free men now? Full. Silver, gold, treasures, everything. But let me ask you, in that 40 years, could they use anything? Nothing. You know how we come out into the kingdom, out of the world? Full of God's spirit and his talents and his gifts. But do we use it? Full. He said, I will not send you empty. I'll send you full. Anyone who is born of God is born of his spirit and his spirit is full. Spirit is full. Everything that you need for life and eternity is there in the spirit by which you have been born again. That's what he told them. They came did not come empty. They came full. They came full. But the problem was 40 years what they had was totally useless. Why? Because they did not fill themselves with God. They filled themselves. They were filled with Egypt. So it could not be used. So please remember these things because these things really, 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 really matter. Nobody that comes out of the world into the kingdom of God need to be empty. You know how Jesus came? John chapter 1 verse 14. Full. Read that. How did he come? Full of grace, full of grace, and an office fullness. How did he come? Full. Father did not send his son empty. He came full. And out of his fullness, God says, "You will receive grace and truth to fill our emptiness." And our God, unlike man, our God is not a miser. Look at John chapter three and verse thirty-four. Oh, God is not a miser. He's generous. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. How does he give the Spirit? Without measure. He'll never tell one of you, okay, Ajay, that's always a gopi. This much of my Spirit only. I can't give you more. He says, no, I can, I'll give you without measure. Depend upon how much empty you're willing to be. I will not give you this much revelation of my word and say, that's enough. You know, if you know more, you will be greater than me. He says, no, I want you to do greater things than me. That's what Jesus said. That's the nature of God. Jesus walks on earth and he looks at his disciples and says, you know what? You shall do greater things than me. You shall do. God has no ego. He has no issues with any of these things. But our problem is there is a liar and a deceiver who wants us to fill us with the world. So when we finish our life, we finish like Solomon. Saved, yes. But empty. No purpose. No purpose. Because living through life thinking this world was the purpose and when you're finishing your life, you realize you got deceived. You got cheated. Now you are old. You're not able to change. You have time on your hands. No strength. You don't know what to do. That's what he's saying. Empty, 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 empty. But very successful in the eyes of the world. Yes, the greatest king, the richest king, the wisest king. The, the, he had everything. Anything that could be pursued under the sun, he said, I went. And I got it too. But he remained. At the end of his life, he realizes he was Empty. So God is not a miser. Remember the widow at Zarephath. The mindset is that when he says, give me a little bread, she says, I have none. She says, I have none. Remember, but she obeyed. This is how you, how you 
Go to the process of being full. I told you on Sunday, God has given everybody who is born again a measure of faith. Everybody has a little faith. If you don't have faith, you are not saved. If you are saved, you have faith. It's as simple as that. If you have faith, then God says, even if you have faith as little as a mustard seed. Okay, that's what he asked. She was empty. She was dry. And scripture says, she obeyed. She took that little and put it over there. And then you will see she has plenty. How many days and weeks and months there is plenty coming in because now she is being filled, not with the things of the world, but what has come through. And look at the principle in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Go to chapter 3 and read verse 10. Bring the full tide into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, yeah. if I will not open the windows of heaven for mm. you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. There is no more room. No more room. God says, test me in this. You take a little. No, God, you take a little. You give it to me. You are, you are dry. You are empty. But you still have little. Because okay, there's a lot of dry people here. But you all have something. Little faith. God says, bring it to me. And he says, if you bring it to me, you will come to a point in your life there is no room. There is no room. That's the nature of our God. There is no room. Okay. There is no room. But you have to take that risk of that faith. That lady took that risk of faith. She, she, she said, I have none. And then she said, I have a little flour, a little oil. We are going to make and we are going to eat. We are going to die. And he says, give it to me first. Give it to me first. And when she gave it to him first, her bin was full and a jar never went dry. Because that is how you fill yourself with the things of God. Or else we can have the attitude of Naomi. Naomi's attitude is exactly the opposite. What did she say when she came back? I went full. I have come back empty. It's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy. Okay. The truth is, you went empty. You got emptied even further. And you have come to be filled by God. God has brought you back through your circumstances so he can fill you. You did not go because you are full. You went because you are empty. And there into that land of Moab, godless land, you got emptied further. Now he has brought you back. Why did you come back? Because you heard there is bread in Bethlehem. He has come you not to make you empty, but to fill you. But because God cannot fill you, God cannot fill you because of your attitude, He cannot fill you, He will use your daughter-in-law to fill you. Read Ruth chapter six, 3, 16. Joshua judges Ruth. Okay, always remember that. Who judges Ruth? Joshua. So after Joshua, okay, judges, then Ruth. Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then mm. she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, mm. These six measure, measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. What did Boaz the Redeemer do? Not go back Don't go back to your mother-in-law? Empty. She's empty. But I will use you to fill her. I will use you to fill her. Because she can't be filled on her own. Because of her stinking attitude. She says, I was full and I come back empty. Okay, I cannot use her. I cannot fill her. But I am still the Redeemer. I still love her. So I will use you 
to fill a boss is the type of the redeemer. Okay, because we need to realize how people are in the kingdom of God. Some people cannot be filled directly by God because of their attitude. They're so bitter about their past. The past that has happened or the fate, the calamities, people, what have hurt them very badly. And they never accept personal responsibility. I heard about an incredible man of God. I read yesterday. I forgot his name. I think he's, I don't know whether he's alive. If he's alive, he must be in his 80s. He said, the turning point in my life came the day I took personal responsibility for my life. He said, that's the turning point. All kinds of things people may have done to us, but I take responsibility for my life, my response to what has happened. That's what the book of Jeremiah says. The fathers can bite sour grapes, but the children's teeth will not be put on the edge. Need not be put on the edge. It doesn't matter what your father, your mother, your husband, your wife, all those people were. What matters is your response. And because the response of Naomi shows the emptiness in her and she's not full of God, she's full of the devil. Demonic. Her response is always nasty, bitter, angry. Though she has a part of that is of God. So her counsel is good. Counsel is always good. Because she, but you don't, that's what God told. Listen to the Pharisees, don't be like them. And the typical Pharisee in the Old Testament is Naomi. So her counsel is good. She's got wisdom. She's got experience. She said, okay, do this, 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 do this. But don't be like that. Don't be like that. That's Eli. Okay? Eli knows. Son, it is God. This is the way you need to answer. But he will never hear. But it's helpful to get a young man to start hearing. After that, a young man starts hearing, he doesn't need Eli. Eli needs him. Okay? Understand this. Don't end up like that. Don't end up like that. Because all kinds of terrible things has happened from the day Adam sinned. And scripture says a man who is born is born like this. What did he say? Sparks in the fire that goes up. Born to trouble. So you will have all kind of stuff in your life. But that is not what should define you. What should define you is your response. Okay. So you will see Boaz, Rima, Ruth and Naomi. Two widows. And God says widows meaning you are. Gone through calamity. You've gone through terrible experiences in your life. You got through, a, but one is bitter, the other is better. That's a different difference. And God loves both. That's why scripture says in John, God loved, Jesus loved Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. He loved all three, but he could only use Mary. He couldn't use Lazarus, though he came back from the dead, he couldn't use him. He couldn't use Martha, because I don't know, Martha had a chip in her shoulder, something about her sister, she had an issue. But Mary is the one God used. The Holy Spirit could only speak to Mary. He couldn't speak to Martha or to Lazarus. Okay, so you need to understand. But God loved all three. And if you looked at it, Mary was delivered of demonic, Lazarus was raised back to life. Lazarus should be at his feet, sitting and listening and this thing, because he had come back from the dead. But he just sitting over there. You don't ever hear Lazarus say anything. It is Mary who is following. So please remember, it is not our circumstances in our life. It is our response in our life. So this woman at Zarephath was in a hopeless situation. But because she was empty and she was not fully dry, she had a little oil, little flour, she was willing to give it into the hands of God. God filled her and God sustains her and the prophet. The prophet is important. God is not just sustaining her and her son. God is sustaining the future of Israel in her home. The future of Israel is in her home. She doesn't even realize. She has no clue what is going to happen in the next few weeks and months and all. Israel's destiny, history, future is tied 
to this lady. This lady's flower won't dry, her oil won't dry, and she's feeding Elijah. Elijah is connected with Israel's future, the world's future, even with eternity. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Widow has no clue at all. What my little ministry, my little faith did. I had a little flower and a little this thing and I handed it over to the Elijah. Elijah ate and the God prophesied through it. And after that, I did not know my action is going to determine history. What? Of Israel? No, the entire world for all times. Why? Elijah has to come back. Elijah came. The spirit of Elijah came through John. He has to come back again. He will be there probably with Enoch in Jerusalem. He will die. He will body will lie there for three days. All why? Because the widow had a little faith. One widow is connected with his history. So when Elijah's history, his testimony is put over there, this woman's name we will know that day. Now we don't know her name. This is what faith does. Okay, so it's good to be empty and dry if you allow God to fill you, if you allow God to use you. And then, she, like I said on that day, she received both life and resurrection. This another case, if you go to Second Kings, another widow, another hopeless situation. Okay, because these widows are all important because this is all connected with the church. God is not talking about widows in the Old Testament to us. God is talking about the church which has become widowed because they have no conscience, uh, conscious uh, awareness that their husband is alive. They are like Jacob. Joseph is dead. I want to die. Well, Joseph is prospering over there. We also sing Jesus is alive, alive, alive and walk around as if he's dead. These are widows. They are not actual widows. They are real widows. Spiritually, they are widows because they have no conscious awareness that God is alive and working in their lives. So in Second Kings, if you go over there into chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be your slave. This scenario too, again God is talking. She's saying my husband is dead. I am in debt. I am empty. And my children are going to slavery. Picture of a church. My husband is dead. And I'm in, I'm empty. The next generation is gone into bondage. Is going into, in the other case, the next generation had died. They needed resurrection. This has gone into slavery, serving the world, serving the demonic, caught by the power of sin. And here is another widow. And there is a man who comes over there representing God. <clears throat> okay? Christ is absent. Church is empty, desolate, and the next generation in bondage. Because you have to look at these things. Some of you may not even understand what I am talking, but I am not just preaching for you. I am preaching for pastors. Okay, they will understand what I am talking. But they know from this, when they hear it, they will know, God is speaking about my church. They will know. Each one will know which church he is talking about. I don't know. He knows. God knows. And the servant will know. So don't look at me with big eyes. What is he talking about? Okay, you are what I call a captive audience. You are all CAs, okay? Okay. The interesting part is there. Read verse 2. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What have you in your house? Okay, it's interesting, right? That's not the way. That's not the way we do. That's not the way we do. If, uh, let's say, Richie is to come here and say, you know what, Pastor, I have nothing. I don't know what to do. The creditor is coming. I will look into my pocket to see what do I have. And I, today I didn't even bring my wallet. So if I, I can't give anything. What do I have? That's what we'll ask, right? But that's not God. God will ask, what do you have? I can help you, but what do you have? 
That's not how we think. But that's how God thinks. Because God doesn't want dependency. He wants to fill us. He doesn't want us to be dependent, like living in dependency. He says, I want you to be full and walk like sons. That's why scripture says in the new covenant, our faithfulness should be more than of Moses. Moses was faithful in the whole household of Lord as a servant. Jesus was faithful as a son. And the question I ask is, are you a slave or are you a servant or are you a son? Servants work for a salary. Sons live as sons. So he says, get that mindset. He says, what do you have? What do you have? What does she say? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house. First thing they always say is, I have nothing. <laughs> what did the other woman say? I have nothing. Okay. I have nothing. That woman also said, I have nothing, but a little oil and a little flour. But the, this is a mindset within the church. We look into ourselves. We see the little we have and we discount it that God can't do nothing with it. We call ourselves nothing. That is the issue. The mindset is that I have nothing. It's not that you don't have anything. You have something, but you discount it. God can't be using me or what I have. That's what the first woman also said. This is what the second widow also says. I have nothing, but a little jar of oil. That's all she has. Now she doesn't have even bread. She has only oil. Then he said, Hmm. go go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, not too few, Hmm. and go in and shut the door behind yourselves and stand and uh, your, you and your sons pour it into all these vessels, and when one is full, set it aside. Okay, enough. That's enough. Okay. Second thing, important thing is that once you have, once God has identified in each one of your lives what is that you have, you have to hear it very clearly. He asked Moses, "What do you have?" Moses said, "Nothing, <laughs> but this stick." God said, "That's enough. That stick is enough." And now think about it. What can you do with a stick? God says, I'll use this stick and bring Israel out of Egypt. That's all I have. That's all I have. Okay? So first you have to allow God to identify what is the little you have. Because God will ask you what you have. What you have. Okay? He'll ask you. After that, listen carefully what he says. Very carefully. Instructions are different. What was given told her and what is told to her is very First thing he says, go outside. And he says, go outside, don't stay inside. Just go outside. Okay? Go outside. And second, borrow. borrow. What borrow? Empty vessels. Borrow? Empty vessels. Don't borrow a few. Listen carefully. Go outside. Two, borrow. Don't buy. You have nothing to buy anyway. Borrow. Three, borrow empty vessels. Four, don't borrow. Few, borrow a lot. As many as you can. And after that, come inside. And after you come inside, shut the door behind you. What I'm going to do is for you. The world doesn't have to see. The world doesn't have to see. Shut the door behind. Then, you got two boys, right? You said they're going into bondage. They're going into slave. Use them for your ministry. Get them. Before they become a slave of the world, let them become a servant of God. Our problem is, our children are sent to be slaves of the world. We pay for it. And we don't use them to serve God. He says, you're worried your children are going to be sold. He says, no, get them. I'm going to use them for my purpose in my kingdom. Use your sons. Okay? And he says, this is the incredible power of God working through this man. He says, pour it. How much do you have? Let them matter. Pour it. And as it fills, set it aside. He's absolutely confident. 
Set it aside, set it aside, set it aside. And that's the confidence you should have. The very little that I have, if I am moved by God's spirit, if I keep pouring it in, it is not into one life or two life or three life. I can fill many lives. I can fill many lives. Because it's not me. It is God who is doing that work. It's not me. And when God fills, he doesn't fill one vessel and say, sorry, that's it, I have run out. You will realize the oil never ran out. The vessels ran out. The vessels ran out. You have to see this nature of God because God doesn't like empty. He wants to fill us. Okay. And let me tell you, young people sitting over here, older people, all kind of people sitting over here. When you come to God, come to God empty. And when you come to God, it does not matter what you were filled with before. It could be vinegar, it could be wine, it could be yogurt, it doesn't matter. Whether you are filled with bitterness, lust, you name it, it doesn't matter what that vessel was filled with earlier. The only thing is that empty and come. And what he fills that vessel changes the character of the vessel. So what you were filled with earlier is irrelevant to God. And the Bible says in Ephesians that where you but now this is what you are. Because when the vessels go back into the world, they look into the vessel, they look, it's full of oil. It's full of oil. So the only question that matters is, are you empty? Are you empty? That's what I'm saying. Both are widows, Naomi and Ruth, Ruth, both are widows. One is a Jewish widow, other is a Moabite widow. And the problem is one is full of bitterness and anger, the other is empty. So God can fill one and then use the sword to fill the other. So when Ruth is blessed with a son, that is David's grandfather, she will, the women of the town will take the baby and put it on Naomi's lap. When Naomi is taking all the credit and Ruth is standing there and smiling. But why are you blessed? Because somebody was empty while you were full. Okay, you were full. Therefore, God has used this. So the whole thing is this. The entire journey we have to learn from Israel into the wilderness was to empty them. So that God could fill them. But God couldn't empty them because they were full of Egypt. So he couldn't fill them full of himself. The second generation was empty of Egypt. Therefore, he could fill them with himself. That's a question God is asking us today. What are you full of? That second widow also took God at her, at his word. She didn't ask any question. She just went, did exactly that was told. It could have been pretty humiliating going around that village and asking for empty vessels. Asking for? Looking for? That's what evangelism is. Evangelism is looking for empty vessels. It's pretty humiliating. Many will reject. But who come, truly come into the kingdom of God are empty vessels. The woman at the Samaritan woman at the well was an empty vessel. She came empty. But she left her pot there empty and ran back full. Ran back full. And she started declaring, please understand, emptiness is a choice. Emptiness is a choice. We will be filled either way. What we will be filled with us is our choice. Emptiness is a choice. Either way you will be filled. Nobody is here empty. Even when you feel my stomach is empty, it's full of air. <laughs> And if you don't fill it, it will sound later. 
So emptiness, one way or other you will be filled. But what we are filled with is up to us. It's a choice we make. Since nothing can remain empty, we need to realize the condition is intentional. God has conditioned people to become empty and then leaves us the choice. What are you going to do? And emptiness is one of the most valuable states in God's sight. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 17. Hallelujah. 15, 17. And Samuel said, Loudly, Vijay. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? He's telling Saul. The Lord When you were very small and empty, God made you full and the head. When did Saul become king? When you were small, little and empty. He made him big. But when he became big and full of himself, God made him empty and took him off the throne. So being small and empty is a very, 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 very good state. That's what God is working. If you don't, the problem is, that's how you read the situations in your life. What is God doing in my life? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? That's the question Naomi should have asked. Why did my husband die? He's left me a widow. Now I have two sons. Now my sons are dead. I'm left with two unbelieving, uh, Moabite uh, daughters-in-law. Why is this happening? That's a question you need to realize. And Naomi should have realized, you know what? He's emptying me. He's emptying me. He's emptying me. But she didn't get the message. She said, I went full. Now I'm coming back empty. So she couldn't be filled with God. Okay, you have to ask these questions when things happen in your life, you know. And God teaches this continuously through the Bible. First thing God is doing with Gideon before he can battle is he's emptying him. He had 32,000. He said, let them go. How many went? 22,000 went. Then again 9,700 went. Now he has been made small and empty. He's got 300 empty people with him. Small, empty people with him. 300 versus 1,35,000 is the logistics. What do you call it in English? Odds. Not even, but odds. 300 versus 1 lakh. He has been made even more smaller or empty. And then you go to Judges chapter 7 and verse 16. What does it say? Verse 16, 7 and verse 16. And he divided the three men, 300 men into three companies. Again divided, because you became even smaller. When 300 stand together, it looks like a big church. When you divide it into three services, it looks like a small service. Made it even smaller. 100, 100, 100. And then? And, and three companies had put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the did you see what God used? First he emptied them, emptied them, emptied them, emptied them, even emptied them farther. Small he made them. After that he gave them two things which were empty. The trumpet can blow only if it is empty. If you jam the trumpet with cotton or paper, you will get no sound. It has to be empty. Okay? It has to be empty. So you have a pitcher that is empty and a trumpet that is empty. You see? God uses, and the only reason they were valuable that day and useful that day, if you ask them what is common, they were empty. 
So they could be used. 300 empty men with 300 empty pitchers and 300 empty trumpets. This is symbolic. Okay, this is a spiritual truth. Gideon also blew the trumpet and the Midianites died. Saul also blew his trumpet and the Philistines gathered. It's not the trumpet. It's the nature of the man who blows. You go read your history in First Samuel and in Judges. When Gideon blew the trumpet and broke the pitchers, the Midianites died. First, without them lifting one hand, 100,000 died. No, 120,000 died. Left only 15,000 were left. Without them lifting. Why? Because he blew the trumpet, which was empty, because he was empty, and the pitcher was empty, and the light was seen. Saul blew the trumpet. Hear, O Israel! And scripture says, all the Philistines gathered and the Israelites disappeared. Please understand these lessons that God is trying to teach us. Okay? And do you know why? All that victory happened because one man, that is Gideon, made himself empty while the other man was full. The trumpet took the character of the man who blew it. All these things are like, no? All these things are, even this is neutral, you know? This is neutral. The word of God is neutral. The word of God takes the character of the man who preaches. Okay? iPhone is neutral. It takes the character of the person who uses it. Everything is neutral. So you, you, we are we are f- filled either way. The picture was empty. Therefore, it could hold the torch. Are you empty? In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Okay, the picture was empty. The picture had been full. The light couldn't have been there. The second thing, that's another message altogether. The picture could be broken. Could be broken. It's not enough to be empty. The question is, can you be broken? If you cannot be broken, the light won't be seen at all. The picture was empty and it could be broken. So get this Picture very clearly in your life. To be empty and dry is not bad. If you are filled by God. Do you know where Jesus began his ministry? He began his ministry with six empty vessels. Okay. Now there were stone jars. So the first condition God is not asking is not brokenness. The first question God is asking is are you empty? Six empty jars. Can you be filled with God's word? Can you be filled by his spirit? Then only you can be used of God. As I close, think for a minute. Think, all you young men, think. All young men, think. Jesus has come to Cana. You know the story. Wedding is going on. The greatest thing in the wedding is wine. In Jewish weddings, wine is gone. Mary comes. Jesus gently rebukes her. She's getting involved in his father's ministry. She says, go to him and do whatever he says. He calls his servants. Look at this. Six empty stone vessels sitting over there. 
Before the party started, the jars were not empty. They were full. Do you know what the water was used for? Every man, every woman, every child who came for the party, they came from the world with their feet dirty, filthy. And all kinds of filth different people had picked them from the roads. And the water in those jars was used to wash. And once it was washed, which represents the life of that person, it is mixed with the dirt and has become one with the world. So now it is empty. And there is a crisis over there. Now this is after Jesus enters the picture. Now the jars are empty. Same jars. And Jesus says, fill it. Then he take, take a cup and give it to the master of the ceremony. When he drinks, he says, wow, where did this come from? What was the jar used earlier for the very water in it? What is the jar used now after Jesus enters the water in it? The difference between a born again life and spiritual life and the life before that. If you live without God, you are empty. The devil will fill him, himself with you and the world. One day your life will be just mixed with the dirt of the world, forgotten. But if you are filled with Jesus Christ, one day the master of the ceremony will say, Look, all these lives over here, they will say, We drank off the life that came from you. We are full and we are satisfied. It is our choice. It's a choice we make. It's a choice we make. Six jars, number of man, empty. But it was not empty before Jesus came. It was full. But do you know what the jars did? Did anybody think about the work those jars did? The water represents life. What was the life of the jar if the jar was a man? What was the life before Christ? Mixed with the dirt, mixed with the world, gone, forgotten. That's what all the writers in the Bible will say. What is man? What is the life of man? Like grass here, gone tomorrow. That is a life without Christ. But when Christ comes in, His Word comes in, His Spirit comes in. Spirit comes in. Want one more illustration? Go to Luke chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Because everybody is from close by. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Him to hear the Word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. You see? He was at the beach. He was preaching. The crowd was huge. And the crowd was pressing against him. And then he looked and he saw two boats. And they were empty. They were empty. And the fishermen had left the boat and gone and washing their nets. And an empty boat became his first pulpit. It is an empty boat. It is not an active boat. It is not a boat full of fish. It is not a busy boat. The only thing that qualified that boat to become the pulpit of the living God on that day was it was empty. It was empty. And a little later after he finishes preaching, we find the honor of the boat in verse 10. Or verse 5. Uh, and Simon answered, Master... Yes, you find the honor also is empty. The boat is first empty. You find the honor is also empty. And in verse 10. And, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, oh. who were partners with Simon. Oh. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching. And I was telling Peter, first your empty boat became my pulpit. Then you will become my pupil. 
and then you will become my pulpit. Why? Because you are empty. Because you are empty. So the question is, are you dry? Are you empty? Remember there are two who fill. There are two fillers. And it's a joy. It's a choice. God and his kingdom or the devil and the world. In the great sermon on the mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. They shall be filled. They shall be righteous and they shall be filled. It's a choice. And you know when the choice is made? The choice is made when you go from here. What are you going to fill yourself? I'm not talking about your dinner. Please eat your dinner well. I'm not talking about that. After that, people don't realize every day after that, they are making a choice what to fill themselves with. Because this has given us so many options and many of the older ones have their own mobiles with 4G so free and so cheap. And you have a choice. What are you going to fill yourself with? You have a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice. In God's is a choice. And the choice is intentional. There are two fillers, the world and the kingdom. God is not, God is not saying don't go into the world or any of those things. He says, fill yourself with me. Fill yourself with my word. When you go into the world, you'll be able to see the world very clearly. Really understand the world. Really be able to see the world and judge the world and decide where I do, where I go, what I do and come out. He's not isolating us from the world. He's sending us into the world. But before he can send us to the world, he wants us to be empty and fill ourselves with him. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. I just thank you for every child, every father, every mother who is here. Thank you for your children. Thank you for your people. My Father, once again, we come to you, Lord. You are the only one who can fill our emptiness, Lord. We don't want to be filled with anything else. Our souls belong to you and to you alone. We come for the ministry of the word for the saving of our soul. And our soul is said to love you with all our heart and with all our soul, Father. And I pray, Father, that you would cause a divine thirst and a divine hunger in us that will never cease until we are with you face to face, Lord. That this life on earth can never fully satisfy us because there is so much more. As your saints in the word of God were waiting, groaning to put away this body because they knew this body was the constraint from enjoying you and filling themselves with you, Lord. Help us to see life that way. Let us not be dull of hearing. Because the first thing that goes is the hearing. And I pray you will give us open ears. Both the widows, desperate widows, both of them heard clearly and obeyed fully. And they were not empty after that. They were full, Lord. They were full. And they were a blessing. One to a prophet, the other to the next generation. Both got their generation, next generation, back, Lord. One got back from death to life, and the other from bondage to freedom, Lord. And I pray the church will hear and receive the message. There is no other way the next generation can be saved or restored. Thank you, thank you, Father. You brought us safely. 
We put our trust in you that you will reach us back safely, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.